guys, this is Marcel from the Visual Friends for the Picablo Radio. I think I have to confess something to you guys. April this year I recorded an amazing podcast with John Hibble about his venture, The Facilitation Starter. John Hibble is an experienced facilitator with more than 10 years in the field. After I recorded this podcast in April, my life became quite busy as I started building a house in May and had a newborn baby in July. That is the reason why this podcast stayed on my hard drive for quite a while. Now it's time to unveil this great conversation about workshop preparation from the session design over delivering a workshop to how you capture insights. Over the last month things have changed slightly. I'm very happy to announce that John is also now a certified Picablo trainer like Martin and I and together we run as the visual friends the Picablo trainings in Australia and New Zealand. If you would like to say hello to John, please add him on LinkedIn or just come to one of the next trainings. We just finished the scheduling for the trainings in Q1 2018. We run the trainings as normal in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. We are also back in Perth and Auckland and hope that we get a training running in Hobart in the beginning of the year. So check out our website on visualfriends.com if you are in Australia or New Zealand. If you are somewhere else, then have a look at picablo.com and find the great network of Picablo trainers around the world. Now let's do the time travel and go back to April and listen to John Hibble from the Visual Friends. John, thank you very much for joining me on the Picabo Radio today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you here and uh, great to have you. Thank you, Marcel. I'm very excited to be here. Very cool. Looking forward to our conversation. Yes. Um, we, we are here at uh, The Hub Melbourne mm. and I found a very nice cozy place. Yep. It's, it's amazing there. It's a very nice place. Do you work here often? or I'm here about three days a week. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really cool place to work, especially for a freelancer like me. Yeah. And we're here on a Sunday, so there's no one else here. <laughs> yes, so we have a deserted office floor here yeah. and hiding in the corner in a nice right. booth. Very mm. cool. Um, yeah, so John, we know us for, for a long time. And we, we mm. have like in, in some ways similar ways we have done parallel to each other. And maybe we start a bit with, give us a bit of background of mm. where you come from. And you have actually been my neighbor for a year that's, in East Melbourne. That's how we met, yes, right? Yes, that's how we met. We, we were neighbors in East Melbourne for maybe a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Yeah. And then it was just through a chance conversation with your partner, Marin, that I found out that you were visual, into visualization. Yes. And at that time, I was a facilitator, or I still am a facilitator, and visualization was a big part of that. What, where and have I you think, worked at this time? Where was uh, it? At that stage, I was at ANZ. Oh, yeah, ANZ uh, Bank. ANZ Bank. So yes. I was, that's where my facilitation story really started. So I was there um, with inter the internal collaboration facilitation practice. We were running big high-production workshops, uh, and a lot, large part of that was visualization to create the experience. Yeah. And it was something that I was looking to learn more of. So it was really serendipitous, I think, that yes, <laughs> we were yes. neighbors and found yeah. out that that was what you did. Yes. Yeah. I think at one point I was yeah. carrying in a Neuland pinboard or yes. something up the stairs. And I, what is that? Oh, yeah. We had a conversation yeah. about it. That's right. Yeah, I noticed yes. it. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And and I have been on in the ANZ uh, collaboration floor. Mm -hmm. I think it was on Collins Street where That's at right. this time. And yep. it's, it's an open floor, like... Mm. No walls, just whiteboards. That's right. It's an amazing yeah. place. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yeah. Yes. It was great. Yeah, it was, it was a really good time. Um, I was at ANZ for 12 years. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm an engineer by training and I started off as an engineer there. I did some lending. I worked in finance, but my last two years there were as a facilitator. That's really where I got my grounding in facilitation. Yes. Nice. And that's right. You did come and do at least one, yes. one or two events yes. there. Yeah. yeah. And I, um, so if I'm right, um, ANZ is also using the MG Taylor method. MG Taylor method. Yes. That's right. Nice. Yeah. And it's for, for big groups. So basically they, they, mm. they meet, um, and, and accelerate and, and, and like an input mm. they have to mm -hmm. a better output over two days with 150 or how many people have you worked with? Oh, the largest is probably 200. Wow. 200. Yes. But I mean, on average, it's probably 30 to 50. Yeah. Uh, and the MG Taylor method, like you said, is very good for accelerated collaboration. 
uh, you know, one day, two days, three weeks, uh, three days rather. Yeah. Um, and it's really good for getting weeks and months of work done in a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, nice. You know, it's like I had uh, Brandy Agerbeck on the show huh. from Chicago, and she right. was a um, worked in knowledge work uh, yeah. uh, with the MG Telemessons when before she started as a graphic recorder as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's uh, I put it in the show notes. It's a, yeah. the interview was sounded very much the same like right you get your ground you get your you just learn the first basics yes yeah before you move on yeah, yeah. so then you lived in east melbourne i lived mm -hmm. in east melbourne mm -hmm. same house Hossum street that's right where did, from there you moved on so uh the time and the opportunity came for me to leave anz yeah uh and it was a natural move for me i wanted to stay in facilitation i really enjoyed it i'd been doing it for nearly two years at that stage i think um, and I wanted to continue it, but outside the bank. So I wanted to stretch my wings, mm -hmm. take what I'd learned, uh, apply it in the big wide world. And also I had lots of ideas about how else I could do facilitation and learn facilitation, including visualization. Uh, and so it became very natural for me to leave and to join an organization called CollabForge. All right. Yeah. Uh, and I'd actually been a client of CollabForge in the past year or two at ANZ. And so they came in and helped out. I, I brought them in to yeah, help, yeah, me, nice. help me with a project with the yeah. ANZ. Uh, and then I forged a very good relationship, working relationship with Mark Elliott, the managing director there. I really love what they stood for. Uh, and, and CollabForge, they're a public sector collaboration and innovation consultancy, working with state and federal government and public purpose organizations to help them with creating new collaborations with stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Uh, to help them with innovation, which is quite yep. often a, a problem which they're not really used to solving. They don't have the language or the tool sets or the mindsets. So CollabForge comes in and helps them with strategy, facilitation, and sometimes technology. So is this then um, like basically in a very in a similar setup like the MG Taylor thing with ANZ, just now in government, or how does what, uh, what how do you do? So the workshopping is only one aspect of what they do, and that's yeah. what I do in CollabForge. Yes. Uh, the working with public sector, they don't always have the budgets that private sector has. Yep. So we're, we're trying to apply the same disciplines, but with um, fewer resources to achieve the same outcomes and the same experience. Nice. Yep. Which for me, uh, me, being an engineer, I really enjoy working under those types of constraints. Mm -hmm. Let me take what I was able to do in a big budget scenario and apply it to a smaller budget scenario. Yeah. Um, but with CollabForge, because it was, it's about scalable collaboration, like, yes, there, there are workshops and they're important workshops, but we very much look at the longer term arc of a collaboration. So how do if you, that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, can you walk us through like mm -hmm. a, like a workshop you w would set it up? Like in, mm -hmm. in, in, in the MG Taylor method, so you have like uh, mm -hmm. people who are, have the dedicated roles to, mm -hmm. to, to do pers like different jobs, input, mm -hmm. output, and mm -hmm. like set up the environment or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how many people work in a, in a, when you work in a government workshop? How do you, when you set this up? Like when uh, I'm just thinking of yeah. someone who listens to it, yeah. works in, works in, in workshops, maybe with mm -hmm. other government, like mm -hmm. w walk us through of how, how those setups are running. And what's maybe one or two learnings you have there? Mm. Uh, you mean in, in CollabForge? Yes, in CollabForge, like yeah. when you work with government yeah. or so, public sector. Uh, so in contrast to a traditional MG Taylor workshop where you, you have a, a large facilitation team yeah. who cover different roles like front of house facilitation, process facilitation, graphics, environment, the production of inputs and outputs of content, like quite often you'd have like one person for each of those. Yeah. We don't have the budgets for that in public sector generally, mm -hmm. but you need to do the same jobs. Mm -hmm. You need someone standing at the front of the room waving their arms. You need someone who look after the environment. You quite often will scribe what participants are saying. Yeah. You know, you definitely have content inputs that you need to feed in and then capturing the work. All the same jobs need to get done. Yes. But quite often it's either just me mm -hmm. or it's me and one co-facilitator, which is the ideal scenario. So in CollabForge, irrespective of the size of the session, we always aim for at least two facilitators and normally I'm the lead facilitator and then I have Haley Cooper Ryder from CollabForge who is typically my co-facilitator yep. and just through doing many of these lots of these sessions we just have a really good rhythm yes like she will she will actually do a lot of the scribing yeah uh, and then I will do a lot of the front of house facilitation yeah I'll design the session and then run the session with her and that works quite well and and um, you you mm. you both like I know that you have worked mm. as a scribe as well and mm. you was like both um swap between the roles yes we do yeah yeah so uh, but I mean, I'm generally, 
if we will agree our primary roles in a workshop mm -hmm. uh, and then our secondary roles. So, for example, if we've decided that she will do scribing, she'll stick mainly to that mm -hmm. unless she is actually running an activity and then I will take over. Yeah. Mm. So, scribing is doing the graphic recordings. Graphic recording. And just yeah. capturing on your own paper or whiteboard? Or it, what do you use? Uh, the medium varies. It's Often it's both. Yeah. Whiteboard, where we have a main one whiteboard, we will capture the main points of conversation, mm -hmm. typically the opening and the closing, mm -hmm. and then we'll have, use flip chart paper for um, capturing any intermittent uh, conversations, mm -hmm. like report outs, for example. Yeah. And in terms of the, the session design, mm. is this, um, what, what time we're talking about? Is this mm. a one-day workshop most of the time, or uh, how do you structure those They times? vary. Uh, it's rare that we will do a two- or even a three-day session. We have done those longer-term sessions, but on average, they're half-day to one-day sessions. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you, you start with your main theme open, mm. diverse, yep. thinking up, and, and mm. what, what happens then like in mm. doing... I mean, the, we always start with purpose. Well, yeah. there's five elements I consider. There's purpose, so yeah. what, what are the outcomes, what are the outputs, key questions, basically why are we bringing people together and what are we trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. And then that then informs everything else. So the process, so the session design, yeah. um, so the journey or experience of activities. Secondly, the people that we have there, so that we're curating the right group to have the conversation and do the work that we need to do. Thirdly, the content. So what content do we need to feed in to support our decisions and our work? Mm -hmm. And then finally, the experience. So how do we want people to feel mm -hmm. based on the space, the lights, the graphics? Mm -hmm. All of that feeds off the, the purpose. Uh, but in terms of the process itself, I really enjoy session design. Yeah. I find it quite a, a structured but creative activity at yeah. the same time. And the way I approach it is uh, like a narrative. So once I understand the purpose of why we're there, uh, that, that very much becomes my compass. Yes. And then the session design for me is like a map. And so, but I always... What I always say is that the map is not the terrain. Mm -hmm. So even though I spend a lot of time crafting the purpose and then designing a session around it, when I actually get into the session, I'm very ready to change. Absolutely. If the condition, yes. like you do, like any facility, yeah, the conditions don't match. But at least because, having gone through that discipline, I have a good sense of what the terrain is. For me, it all mm. also gives me confidence that I will do yeah. the right job. Exactly. That I have a, if they run out of ideas what to do next, mm. I have a suggestion yes. up my sleeves. Like yeah. I know what what I can suggest okay. as the next thing, and and that's based on the planning of the of the session design. It's like oh, we could now it's time maybe for this. Mm. What I came up when I prepared the session, mm. but I barely stick to the plan. Yeah, it's like from yeah. now three to four we do this, yeah. and then from four to five we capture and mm. goodbye. Mm. It's not like. But do you always go in with a starting point? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like uh, a hypothesis, makes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it makes total sense to mm. me. Yes. You need to know where you where you start mm. and where the what the outcome should be, mm. and basically all in between is like gray mm. landscape, and mm -hmm. you just need to find the way. Mm. Yeah. That's right. I mean, and for me, that's why when I design my workshops, I don't I don't think of it like activities as Lego blocks. Mm -hmm. It's like oh, okay, I'm going to do a world cafe here, and then I'm going to do um, brainstorming here, and then I'm going to do model building. I, I try to think of it firstly as a narrative. So what is actually the, what are people coming in? And I use natural language. Like, what are they actually going to be doing? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, first they need to come in. They don't really know each other. So they need to spend a little bit of time just getting to know each other. And then they, they, this is quite a complex topic. So they actually need to be introduced to the facts in the language. So we need some kind of presentations. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they need to have some dialogue around that. So I use language like that. Yeah. That'll take me through to the end of the session. And only then, once I understand the intent, of the parts of the workshop, do I then go back and say, okay, I think this activity fits yep. or this activity fits. And sometimes I design a new activity altogether. I really enjoy doing that. But for me, it starts with the intent, which like to your point, it gives me the flexibility to pivot yep. because I know why I need to do X, Y, or Z. Mm. Do you have one or two insights that you think from, from your last facilitations or your last workshops, if you go mm. back in your mind to those things, What was the surprise or what was the learning you had you would like mm. to share? Like a, maybe two questions in that question. Like what is the surprise? It's like, oh my God, this is a great story to share. Mm. And the other thing is like any any learning that you had like through the last workshops you facilitate. And it's like if you're a facilitator, mm. if you have that, that was a mm -hmm. nice learning or something like mm. that. 
So for me, every just like work, mm-hmm. I see every workshop like a sandbox. It's all as a facilitator. I'm always trying to experiment and try new things mm-hmm. to keep it fresh and interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Plus, I'm always just curious about taking knowledge and applying it in reality. So every workshop, there are either surprises and/or learnings. Um, that for me is like that's the innovation, and that's what I really enjoy. And and for me, this is also like uh, this is what I get out of it. Yeah. So I'm I'm yeah sure we make money, yeah. but I'm, it's for me also like I I'm I'm there to explore something and I yeah. learn something, mm. and and with with that, um, this is where you, basically you're the payment on top. You mm. learn something as well. Mm. So mm. it's, yeah. yeah. And literally, because I have my own startup now, the facilitation starter, where I'm mm-hmm. like Bicablo, I'm trying to yeah. decode and demystify the basics of facilitation. Yeah. Like it's, it should be for everyone. Yes. So making it a more of a common language. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of that is harvesting and telling the stories of my actual practice. It's yeah. like, here's what I did. Here's why I did it. Here's how I did it. Here's what I learned. Yeah. So for example, if I think back, what, what did I do last week? I ran with Haley. It was a Bicablo's, uh, it was a, sorry. Club Ford session, two half days, mm-hmm. and it was for one of our premium clients here in Melbourne. Uh, and basically, the main purpose of the session was to redesign their client journey or client experience mm-hmm. uh, to better support the needs of their clients. They're they're a network based organization, and so you know a couple of things I learned there was we basically spent the f- the first day was all about dialogue. So we really t- took the time for people to get to know each other, to uh, open up the ideas and the perspectives in the room and un- really understand and unpack what, what's the common ground mm-hmm. versus what are the things we're getting stuck on that we don't necessarily have agreement on. Mm-hmm. And like I think the pragmatists in the room got a little bit frustrated with that because it was just a lot of talk and dialogue, structured dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it ended up working really well because day two was about design where we actually got together and we were designing and building a new process. But I think if we hadn't done the dialogue on day one, mm-hmm. we, the design wouldn't have gone very well on day two. People wouldn't have felt that they'd had their say. All the big issues wouldn't have been surfaced. Yes. And I think that we'd, we were able to harvest so many good design principles and ideas from day one, which informed our day two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's something I've done before, but like just, just doing it again, it, it just reinforces the importance of taking the time to put enough scaffolding in place rather than getting straight into the the pragmatic solution oriented work mm-hmm. you do need to take the time to scan and open up new ideas new perspectives get new knowledge on the table get, get the group trusting and understanding each other and then kind of laying out what is the terrain on which we need to do our design mm-hmm. before then jumping into and actually doing the actual work that we're there to do mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah it makes yeah. total sense mm. When I, when I think of this challenge, mm. um, how have you facilitated this immersion into that, into mm. that getting to know each other and, and, and uncovering this, mm. what's under the surface? Mm-hmm. Is there any, your favorite tool in your toolbox that yep. you say, this is my favorite activity to do that? Yep. You want to share? Uh, there are two, and there are two that we used. Uh, one is, co- is an MG Taylor method, yep. actually. Mm-hmm. But I think it follow, if, for any facilitator, I think the underlying pattern is quite familiar. Yeah. Uh, and it's called um, an individual perspectives mm-hmm. or a taker panel. And basically, the intent of the activity is to allow each person in the room to have their say mm-hmm. and provide their perspective on anything really. But generally, it's about how they think we will achieve success. So if you give them a scenario, like imagine it's two or three years from now and we've achieved great success in what we're doing, and then you provide them with, say, a dozen questions that mm-hmm. are topical and relevant based on your understanding of what we're here to do, yeah. and then you give them a very short amount of time as individuals. How long? Uh, typically 20, 25 minutes. Okay. And it's called take a panel because in the MG Taylor world, they have a section of whiteboard and they're standing yeah. up writing, but in, when you don't have that, you just use flip chart paper. Yeah. So you have some quiet wallpaper music in the background yes. and everyone is just furiously writing Yeah. and like un, un, kind of unfiltered, they're getting their opinions and ideas on paper. Yeah. And it's really good for the introverts in the room yes. who don't like to talk and don't feel comfortable talking in the front yeah. of the room. And it also overcomes that dynamic where you know people come to the workshop and they're a little bit unsure who's here why they're here but they're coming with their big idea mm-hmm. and they're just looking for their opportunity to kind of edge it into the conversation 
and it doesn't always come out in the right way or the right place. And then, and then that starts this snowball effect where everyone starts to say, Oh, okay. This is where I need to talk. <laughs> have you, you've said, have you seen that before? And yes. then the conversation just takes off. Yeah. Whereas what this does is it creates time and space for that. Yes. It quiet reflection. Yes. So that's the first part is individual, typically with a written assignment. Yes. The second part and the three parts. Second part is now find a group of three or four people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we curate that group. Other times it's just find three or four other people. And then you literally share. Right, so you spend five minutes each sharing what you've written, mm-hmm. and your goal there as listeners is not to critique or add to, but literally just to listen and ask questions to clarify your understanding. So that's about another twenty minutes. Share each person sharing in a small group. In like a small you merge group. them into groups of three or something. Three, or typically four to five. Four to five. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's literally just listening. Yes. Right. So you're able to unfilter, just have your say, and then there's actually sorry four steps. The third step is now that you've listened. Find a new panel and then as a group, summarize or si- synthesize rather what you've heard mm-hmm. into two categories. Mm-hmm. What was the common ground? What mm-hmm. were we all agreeing to? Yeah. Versus what were the differences? What are those topics that perhaps we don't, not all on the same page about where there's some dissonance, lack of coherence? Yeah. Uh, and then the final step is then sharing that. So at a group level, And you can do it as a traditional report out. Each group just literally report out your conversation, the experience of your conversation, but importantly, your synthesis. But what I did... That was so they synthesize out of this four yeah. or five flip chart paper, yeah. one new one? Uh, basically, oh. Well, probably two. Yeah. So on one page, for our team, here's our common ground. And for our team, here's the opposite. Here's what we weren't on the same page about. Yeah, cool. Nice. So you might have, if there's 25 people, you have five report outs. But what I did that was different... And I'd never done this before, but I wanted to try it. Was I used a fishbowl report out? And I think you do fishbowl in Bicabla, right? Yeah, yeah. So fishbowl, I love fishbowl. Yeah. Uh, but for, and you can. It's highly flexible activity, but it's really good for you know deep active listening and dialogue in a small group. Yeah, maybe just um, so fishbowl where mm. you have an inner Sorry. circle of chairs, of yes. three or four or five chairs maximum. Yeah. yeah. And um, You, the people come to the center into yeah. the small group of chairs yes. and talk mm. while the, you have an outer circle of chairs around yes. where you just have the listeners and thinkers. Yes. Whenever you want to say something, you stand up, yeah. get 20% more oxygen because mm-hmm. you just stood up mm-hmm. and then walk to the center yeah. into the smaller circle and mm-hmm. you sit there and talk. Mm-hmm. Just This is the fishbowl you're well, that, talking about? That's, uh, there's, that's the, the physical structure, yes. yes. Uh, and there's ver- that's one variation yes, where you can course. tap in and yeah. out. Yes, It's up to the facilitator what the rules are. Which one do you like more? The tapping on the shoulder? Hey, mm. come on, you stuck yeah. right here long enough? Yeah. Or you just like leave one chair free? Um, I like the tapping on the shoulder. Yeah, That's fine. too. But generally what I do is I have an initial group in the yeah. center. Yeah. And then I, after a period of time, I say, right, now it's open. Yes. You can now tap in. Yes. Or another variation I do is I open it up to the whole group to play back what they've heard. Yeah. Not just the content of what they heard, but the emotion behind what they've heard. Yeah. It's like, oh... You know, Marcel was talking about how how visualization works and how he got into Picablo. Yeah. But I noticed some real emotion there when he started to talk about his family. Yeah. And, and what it means for him personally in his yes. journey. Yeah. So that's important, that deep yeah. active listening. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes I open it up for that reflection and then and then I say, Right, now we're going to change up the center, who comes into the center. So you then basically stop the fishbowl and let the outer circle some speak. reflection? Yeah. Yes. And then, then you can tap in. Yeah. yeah. I like that variation. Nice. It seems to work quite well. Yeah. Haven't done this. Yeah. Cool. So that's basically what I did last week. Okay. We so this was then basically, instead of having this uh, group presentation, you know, a traditional report out, team one, then team two, then team three, which is a bit boring. So you just, each team reports their la 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 and yeah. everyone has to listen. Yeah, everyone yeah. has to listen. And by yeah. the end, you know, you're falling asleep. Yeah. I thought, let's make it a little bit more organic and yeah. conversational. Yes. And let's report out in a fishbowl. Yeah. Nice. So the seats had been rearranged in a fishbowl configuration. And then I had one represent, I asked for one representative from each, I think it was five teams to come in the center. And then rather than turn taking, like you go, then you go, then you go. Yeah. I literally just asked them a question. I said, so, you know, what was it? I said, what was that experience like for you? Mm-hmm. And then just kind of saw where the conversation went. And then gradually I got into, well, tell me, what were some of the big areas that you're all agreeing to? What was the big areas of common ground? And then similarly, what were the big things that you were disagreeing on? I'm not sure that I get it. Mm. So it means like instead of um, each team presents, mm. you had um, each 
a representative of each team in the middle? Yes, one one representative. Of each in the inner circle? Yep, and they brought their pieces of paper. So, okay. Yeah. So and I didn't feel like rather than, you know, we've all been through report outs where people come up and they literally read what's off yes. their sheet and it's like, yes. oh, I could have uh, read that. Rah. Yeah. Whereas I wasn't, I wasn't so much. I was. I think the trade-off I made was that it wouldn't, perhaps, wouldn't be as exhaustive. Yes. But I wanted to get into depth on some of the key points, mm -hmm. and that's what I was trying to achieve throughout the whole day with the taker panel, and with the fishbowl, and a couple of other things like actually get into some depth of dialogue, mm -hmm. and allow people to really understand each other, build some common language, understood where they're on the same page, but perhaps not, mm -hmm. and also. And I think, you know, a lot of workshops are actually a Trojan horse for this, actually build trust with each other. Mm -hmm. So, yes, at the end of the two days, we would ship something, we would deliver something, you know, a new design for blah. Mm -hmm. But in fact, what we're actually doing as well is, is building a community, people who understood and trusted each other. Yes. And that was a little bit of the backstory to this session, is that people felt they hadn't been so included. So, that, that's a bit also your, and it was your intent, yes. that you wanted to bring them together, right? Yeah. Sounds precisely. like Collab Forge. Collab Forge, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I have. Um, Does that make yeah? Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, it's written, it's, it's, and I'll actually, sharing. I'll actually write a blog post on this. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, then tell us where your blog is. Oh, my blog post. My blog is. Um, well, it's more than just a blog, but it's the the facilitation starter dot com. Right. Yes. So yeah. that's that's the venture you that's now my started. New venture. Yeah. Yes. You need, so I'm doing that in addition to Collabforge yeah. and other things such as Bicablo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, started it. It was. It's been an idea that's been in my head and of my my colleague. Um, Julian Waters Lynch. Mm -hmm. So we are both professional facilitators. We do co-design facilitation for a living, amongst mm -hmm. other things. Yeah. And in doing that client work, we have on many occasions been asked by curious clients, um, oh, how do you actually do that? Well, that was really cool. I don't know how you did that, but it was amazing. Well, it was a great experience. And it, so it had been bubbling away in the back of our minds. You know what? We've, we have a sense that there's actually a market here. There are people within organization organization designers, entrepreneur, intrapreneurs mm -hmm. who are curious to learn more about facilitation because it's something that they need to do. What is an intrapreneur? An intrapreneur is like, it's a buzzword, but it's an, it's like an entrepreneur, yeah. but they're with inside an organization. Oh, okay. So I would have considered myself an intrapreneur when I was at ANZ yes. because I was trying to do something innovative and different and kind of a little bit startup yes. within a large bureaucratic organization. Yeah. And, but quite often... You find that you don't have the knowledge or the language or the skills, and mm -hmm. so you draw on external inspiration to help you with that. That's how I, that's how and why I got collab forging. Mm -hmm. So we started the facilitation starter late last year, like September October. Built a website and started to build a mailing list and a network, just kind of finding out who's interest, like expressions of interest, and basically by I think it was January, we'd run our first half day session with Code for Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then our first full day open session, uh, maybe a month or two later here in Melbourne. Great feedback. You can read the testimonials on our website, see yeah, the pictures. Cool. There's a blog post. Yep. And then a week or two ago, we ran a customized session for the Department of Environment in Canberra. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an internal service design team who were running a hack session mm -hmm. with some stakeholders, but they didn't feel confident. So what's... what? Run us, run me through mm. the the mission statement of of what is, what is um, facilitation starter offering, mm. and why I should come to the training. What's the outcome after the one day I with you? It, that's a good question, and I think that we're still you have clarifying. one elevator. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you have more than 90 seconds. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's it's very much like how I view Bicablo. Uh -huh. Like if I like I, what I re one thing I really love about Bicablo is how it makes visualization accessible for everyone. Yeah. You know, and this is one great phrase about I think a barrier to visualization for many people is they see it that it's about art. Yeah. And I think I'm not an artist, I can't draw. Whereas I think Bicablo very much overcomes that and the, the phrase that stands out in my mind is that uh, visualization is not about art, it's about language and therefore it can be taught and can be learnt. Yes. You know, it's probably a very German thing as well. You break it down to yeah. uh, letters and sentences and paragraphs. Anyway, and that just really... I, I'm so glad that someone read this booklet. I'll translate it. I do, you know what? I do read things. I do read things. <laughs> so that really resonated with me. Like I had an intuitive sense about that before I did Bicablo and it was just so refreshing to when I got there and I listened to you and worked with you and read the, read the material that that's actually what it was about. Mm-hmm. And for me, like it's, it speaks to, and, and that's why we did the facilitation starter is because we think facilitation is an important skill that ever, it should be accessible for everyone. 
right? And yes. But I think over the years, certainly like in, I love M.G. Taylor, but yeah. like one thing that frustrates me a little bit about it is that uh, over the years, and it's, I don't think it's just M.G. Taylor, by the way, it mm-hmm. becomes very closed shop. Yes. It's like unless you're actually in the field or in the practice or working with the right people, it's kind of like you pay us to do this for you and then we'll do it for you. Yes. But that's... we'll leave. And it's probably the classic consulting thing. You're no smarter. Right? Oh, so, there, there are two types of yeah. consultants yeah. from my world. Yeah. The one that make themselves redundant mm-hmm. when they step in. Mm. Like how do I get out of this mm. company straight away? Mm. That's like basically how I can get fired or how I make yeah. myself redundant quick. Yeah. yeah. And um, the other ones who may become part of the problem and be mm. like are long running in 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 it and um basically a contractor for forever mm. yeah so it's an um for, for i often say in 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 the pickable training on the second day when we also look into facilitation mm. it's like i say i believe you are a facilitator as soon as you access outlook and invite someone to a meeting mm-hmm. now you have an agenda yeah. now you put someone into a room yep. you should make take care that mm. they're actually not wasting their time precisely because like one of the most expensive things is mm. inviting 10 people into a meeting room mm. you multiply out how many yes, people in the like, room what yeah. is the salary that you just allocate yeah. when you meet yeah. for an hour meeting exactly right? and and um, you should know what you do there mm-hmm. so yep. walk us a bit more into like what can I learn so the facilita- don't come to the facilitation starter if you want to learn about methods or activities. Uh-huh. I mean, we do touch on that. Yeah. Uh, but I feel that there's so much of that material that's available free, like the mm-hmm. IDEO stuff or um, game storming that's another favorite. Like yes. It actually talks about activities. Yes. Rather, what we're trying to do with the facilitation starter is provide you with four things. Uh, mindsets, skill sets, tool sets, and language. Mm-hmm. Importantly, language like precision in language yep. um, around facilitation, which will then allow you to be more intelligent in terms of how you apply these activities or methods, mm-hmm. like a fishbowl, for example, mm-hmm. and or even design your own, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Another, another way I like to think of it is, because I'm an engineer, computer systems engineer, yeah. <laughs> I like to think of it like hardware and software. Yeah. So hardware is like all the concrete, tangible methods or techniques you can apply as a facilitator. Yeah. You know, you can learn about how to do, you know, scribing or how to apply a particular technique. Yeah. Whereas underpinning all that, and quite often what is intrinsic and and not coded is the software. Do you know if that makes sense? It's all the stuff in your head which allows you to apply that in the right context and in the right way. Or design your own things. Come up with your own visualization techniques, or come up with your own facilitation activities. Yeah. So what we're trying to convey, and is you know, is ambitious, is what are some of the software, like the the mindsets and the skill sets, the stuff underneath the iceberg, that iceberg yeah. model, which we've learned through practice, which allows us to do what we do. We're trying to codify some of that stuff. If that makes sense. Makes sense to me. Mm. Um, but I'm. So let me challenge that and mm-hmm. ask whether. Mm-hmm. So I, if I understand you right, you you teach more like when you, more like the underlying um, principles you you that as a facilitator you work with mm. versus a tool I use. This is the this is the game I play or this is the activity Correct. I do. Yeah. But when I when I am new to this area. Mm-hmm. And as it goes with the, with maybe you know this shuha mm. read level. So it's like a Japanese way mm. of how you, how you learn. Mm. On the shoe level, you just copy and paste solutions. Mm. So you just learn something and try mm. this and, mm-hmm. and repeat something that you have seen. Mm-hmm. On the ha level, you shuha. It's like the next level. You 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 question that. Mm-hmm. You challenge that a bit, mm. and you you um you're a good practitioner in that. Mm-hmm. And the re level is like the master where you just forgot about all that mm. and you in, like intrinsically yes. know what's the right thing so you're you um and and if i think of a facilitation starter instinct from a, from the beginning mm. um i need something as a as a youngster in the field to to play like mm. if i it was for me so when i mm. started and first learned about world mm. cafe mm-hmm. or like open space and mm. i knew how to structure a two-day event mm. for people mm. or one day mm. I had something to grab on mm-hmm. to like have my my back straight mm. and and have mm-hmm. something to hold on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and 
I, I really appreciate the, the, the mindset and so, but then, mm. so, or maybe I, I, yeah. I well, let me, let me yeah. unpack it a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, please, um, please. Then perhaps it sounds abstract, but, yeah. um, what this is grounded in is like how we learn facilitate like Julian and I and many other facilitators is as an apprenticeship. Like yes. it wasn't in a classroom. Okay. We yeah. didn't, didn't read, like we read content, yeah. but really the way I learned is through working Hands with, on. uh, maybe to use your example, like, yeah. uh, in the re, yeah. like Tanya at yeah. ANZ, like she was very much a master in her field. Yeah. And it was through working closely with her, watching her, watching mirroring her, yes. getting feedback, like yes. m- micro skills, like yes. her giving me little challenges and yes. then challenges gradually get becoming bigger yes. through actual practice. That's how I learned. That's where I got the depth yeah. of my learning. And then through CollabForge, practicing and experimenting again. Yeah. So the facilitation started, what we're trying to do is rather than just, yes, we have, you know, a one-day course, yeah. but we're trying to create a network of apprentices, acknowledging that oh, we're sure. only, we're not fully masters, like we're only on that journey ourselves, yeah. right? We've still got plenty to learn and the, what we're doing is not the right way, but it works pretty well for us. Yeah. And we're trying to bring people along on that journey. Nice. Through, so our, when you come to our sessions, like we're not there with slides delivering content. It's actually more of a dialogue and a, a collaborative conversation mm-hmm. in the sense that we'll share some of our stories, but we'll also look to draw out your experiences and stories and actually try and make, especially if you're new to facilitation, try and draw out that actually you have experiences you can draw on, which will help you. Right. So this sounds a bit like a coaching circle or so. It's where probably you, more like a coaching circle. It's, it's because, amazing. Yeah. So yeah. if I give you an even more concrete example, one of the, we have a number of frameworks that we go through, but one is the, the jobs of a facilitator. Yeah. All right. So if I quickly go through them, the facilitator scopes the session. Yes. They will design the session. They will plan the session. They will facilitate the session and then they'll capture the value from the session. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's our language for it. And I think pretty much every facilitator will do that. Yeah. All right. So if I go back, we use metaphors, a lot of metaphors to actually help people understand that. Right, so for example, with scoping, we say the mindset here that is useful to think about is uh, that of the doctor. Mm-hmm. Right, so straight away, if we say that scoping a session with a client, like understanding the requirements, what their needs are, is kind of like being a doctor. Everyone, pretty much everyone will have an experience of going to the doctor. So we then have a conversation of like, well, what's your experience of, of going to the doctor? Well, what do you understand that a doctor does? Mm-hmm. So people typically say, oh, they ask questions or they listen, or they look at my body language, or they do some tests, mm-hmm. and, they, uh, and they ask more open-ended questions, and then some more closed-ended, things like that. Mm-hmm. They look at my, for what I'm saying, but also what I'm not saying. Mm-hmm. So everyone will have that experience. And then collectively, we're building up a mental model of what scoping is like. And so I say, well, there you are. When I'm scoping and ta- interviewing and talking to a client, it's kind of like being a doctor. Yeah. Or conversely, like when I'm doing the preparation for a session, it's like being a chef or a pilot. So what comes to mind when I say that? And so people say, oh, a chef is very organized. They do their prep. They have, they do their mise en place. They get, they do all their, chop up all the ingredients. And so when it comes to the service, all they're doing is like assembly. Yes. Or the pilot is going through his checklists. Yes. And so I'm not telling people that that that's coming from them. Yes. Uh, sometimes they say things that I would have said. And, but a lot of times they add new things to it. So the metaphor makes the, um, strange familiar and the familiar strange yes so straight away they can see that oh, okay so when i'm preparing for a session i kind of need to think like a pilot or a chef or when i'm scoping for a session i need to think like a doctor. doctor yeah and and our hypothesis i guess is that you can leave and take that away and that that then like when you're faced with a novel situation mm-hmm. at least straight away you can kind of it's like the matrix you can yeah. download that program yeah ah okay a, I've got the language that I know that these are the jobs of the facilitator, but B, I kind of know how I need to think and behave. I have a mental model already loaded up. That's pretty, that's familiar to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolute makes yeah. sense. I'm, I'm, uh, the, this me- mm-hmm. like, um, metaphors you used make, mm-hmm. make total sense to me. And, yep. and I actually, ha- I, I play those roles yep. in, in, when I, when I prepare yeah. or when yeah. I, when I'm having first initial conversation mm-hmm. with a, with a, s- a sponsor of a session and like what's, and I, I actually observe. Yeah. yeah? It's mm-hmm. like, so what would happen if we cancel the session, not have it at all? Mm-hmm. It's like, if he freaks out or yeah. is this, um, what would success look like? And you have all those mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. In, 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 in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of the people don't say, mm-hmm. but you feel that there's, mm-hmm 
something and it makes the doctor makes total sense yeah and sometimes the patient can't actually communicate what they're feeling or yeah. how so you yeah. as a doctor like you need to observe body language yes. and you know i think generally a good, good doctor will ask lots of um open-ended questions to open up the space mm. rather than those more convergent closed-ended questions mm-hmm. uh, and actually the one that relates i think strongly to bicablo is the one of value capture mm-hmm. I, and that's a fancy word for basically capturing the work the participants are doing yeah so you know at the most basic level is taking pictures of their work yes and in mg taylor there's a whole practice around how you index the work but the metaphor we use and it's kind of like what we're doing now is that of the journalist yeah so the journal- journalist is looking for the story yes right and they're looking for what is of all the noise what is the signal Mm-hmm. Like they're filtering, like what's the message that's running through all the work that they've done and the conversations? Yes. And that is a real art and a craft to look for the story, look for the signal that, that's kind of cutting through all the work that they've done. And so I see like in that value capture role, my, my role as like a journalist is looking for the story and then harvesting that story and then playing it back to them with words and with a narrative. Yeah. Yep. And I see like Bicablo is like one really powerful skill set and tool set and language to help especially with that value capture role yeah mm. then you like you have a scribe in the room as well who would i sometimes it's me uh, do the graphic recording and yep so yep. sometimes probably generally three scenarios like either or two scenarios either i am there specifically just to do the graphic recording and scribing or um i am facilitating and doing a little bit of scribing as well yeah which is probably more graphic facilitation, I guess. Or the third level is I'm the facilitator, but I have a graphic recorder or scribe with me. Hmm. The one, one thing I've done in the last uh, workshop I facilitated hmm. um, uh, two days off-site for a company hmm. was in the end for this for this capturing, hmm. um, we have done videos. Video, so, yeah. Yeah, so we, like, they presented their... Their, their final mm-hmm. for um, and and we did like we, we cut it out nice speech bubbles with statements and, mm. and on foam boards and had them in the in the picture okay and they basically gave them a, a speech like an elevator pitch mm. um, that was almost done from the energy after two days very mm. hard work mm-hmm. but it like it was a energizing way of really like capturing the visual work they mm-hmm, had done mm-hmm. and capturing the audio and mm. having the energy in the room right and um um yeah so this is i, I completely get this with the because i felt like a like a tv journalist mm. um i really like had we had actually like a um, three two one action mm-hmm. yes yeah? like this this yeah. the thing in in the room and we were like a, mm-hmm. okay you're live now you're yeah. you are now on telly yeah yeah speak now and it was like this yes after two hard two days they put everything up again and and mm-hmm. um like gave their last energy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. brought it to stage yeah like brought it up yeah and um yeah i, I, pl- I completely agree yeah. with the metaphor of a journalist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolute amazing yeah It's very powerful. So this is this is this is what you can learn in the facilitation starter when you come to one day mm. where you you walk the people through from the underlying metaphors you mm-hmm. use and the underlying principle of mm. what a good facilitator would is doing. Mm-hmm. And after the after the one day, what what is the what is the feedback you get? What is mm. the what is the outcome of those? So after so very much along the lines of trying to replicate the apprentice model, where it's an ongoing learning journey. What we're establishing is a network of alumni and facilitators. What is alumni? So people who have been through the facilitation starter, even though it's fairly new. Yes. Mm -hmm. And literally how that plays out is, you know, we've tried a meetup group, but I think in the first instance it'll be, right, on this date we're going to be in this place. Uh, Come along. It's free. And let's just have a a good conversation about our facilitation practice. Mm -hmm. Come along, tell the stories of what you've been doing, what you've been trying. Uh, what are some great things that you can share, but mm-hmm. also what are some challenges and questions that you bring? And then having a space and a forum for the dialogical learning. So through dialogue and through sharing, let's share our practice, but also share our challenges. And then just through the group, let's, let's expose different, different perspectives on your problem, different new, new things that you can try. Yeah. Uh, in a more formal sense, what we're looking to establish is one-on-one or small group coaching and mentoring. Mm-hmm. So we've already had some strong interest on that front. Yeah. Either before, some people are actually interested in that 
instead of the one day starter course, basic course. But ideally, it's kind of on the once we've established some basic shared understanding around language and concepts, we help you with an ongoing journey of facilitation. Mm-hmm. So literally, you know, we come in and like, okay, now you've you've learned about what scoping is and design and facilitation, but you might have a session coming up. Let's actually work together on it. So you coach the people. Coach them. Yeah. Yeah. As, to, as, the, to as the as the um, they are the facilitator, and you are the coach for the facilitator yeah. Yeah. to help them yeah. to have a great yeah. to to be basically um, um, running it, and you are on like a like on a bicycle together with them on yeah. a, on a on a tandem. That's a good metaphor. Yeah, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> It comes from a, a company where I worked before, like in, in Hamburg. We used like Agile, when we did Agile introductions, the Agile starts, yeah. starters, yeah. Agile pilots mm-hmm. is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, we, we came like with two people and one person was working with the product owner and one person was working with this scrum master and we basically were, they were shadowing us yeah. before they take over and, and um, uh, are in the driver's seat and we step back into the co-driver's seat yeah. Yeah. and, and, uh, I think it makes total sense to even not be in the driver's seat in the first place. Yeah. That's disruptive. Yes. And, yeah. and like it's more it's more sustainable and more long-running successful if you just directly yeah. coach them yeah. from the back of the room and yeah. help them. And sometimes it's, it, it is exactly what you described. So it's f- helping them with the actual session. But I, in MG Taylor, one thing I learned is that and very much experienced is that 80 to 90% of the facilitation is done before you get into the room. Yeah. And then I find that the actually being in the room is kind of like pressing play and just being present and mindful yes. and being like a guide. The metaphor we yes. use for facilitation is like a guide. Yes. You're helping people through the terrain. You yep. don't always have the answer, but at least you yes. have a compass and a map. Yes. And so with the one-on-one coaching, yes, it can be in the session itself, watching and providing feedback and co-facilitation, but it can also be upfront when you're perhaps looking to scope the session. Yeah. Maybe we'll sit down with you and help you plan out or how is this going to run? What questions are you going to ask? How are you going to respond to this? What do you need to find out? And it can also be helping you actually design the session, not doing it for you, but doing it with you. It's like, okay, you learned these techniques in a one day course. Now let's actually apply them together mm-hmm. in your a real context. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see how it's very much that apprentice model. Yeah. And through practice. Yeah. Or everything we're trying to do is grounded in practice. Yeah, practical mm-hmm. experience. Mm. Do you know that um, the company who started Picabo mm. uh, is called Communication Guides or Communication Pilots? Mm-hmm. If you translate it, the German one, you no know, one can pronounce in English. Yeah, it's yeah. called Kommunikationslotsen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the the uh, the thing is like they have like a, it sounds very similar to to how how you work. That they have like a participative approach of of leadership of mm-hmm. working with people mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, it makes makes total sense when I listen to you. This tandem approach of being I like that tandem, and mm. um, it's great. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Additionally to that, is there anything you will think we should talk about, or like something you, anything you would like to share? Anything else that we haven't discussed? Yeah. Hmm. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Okay. Cool. Then. But you know what? I'm probably going to remember something after we stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Then we do it again next time. Yeah. Well, ma- ma- maybe one. maybe like just a um, philosophical reflection. Yep. Uh, on slightly different on the life of freelancing. Yes. Is that you know I've so for 12 years I worked in the corporate world. Yes. A and Z. Uh, you know that the golden handcuffs you know the banks pay above the average sure. it's a very different lifestyle and yeah i let what just one of the reasons i left the bank was to get more well not only like to try lots of stuff that i've been wanting to try mm-hmm. but to get more balance in my life yes. and lifestyle yeah so basically i wanted to spend more time with my kids when they were young and to support natalia my partner mm-hmm. and i think you can't really lead this this freelance life is not for everyone mm-hmm. it can be very exciting and thrilling but very draining emotionally and physically mm-hmm. and financially mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the definite trade-off that you make but like when i look back to it do i think i made the wrong choice no not at all at this mm-hmm. point um i think that all the opportunities and the stuff that i've learned and i've been able to do now and going forwards i wouldn't have been able to do that i think mm-hmm. within corporate life and look who, I mean, will i go back to corporate life never say never mm-hmm. but at this stage in my life i'm really enjoying and being energized and thrilled by what i'm doing but you can't because you can't do it without a strong strong support from your family, mm-hmm. and certainly Natalia, she's being a very strong my my partner, a very strong supporter. 
but it's also connecting with other people like yourself mm-hmm. who are out there living their dreams mm-hmm. and creating something from nothing just based on passion and ideas. And I've been so enamored by connect, being able to connect with so many people like that who are following and pursuing their dreams and conscious of the trade-offs that they're making. Yeah. Um, but being true to themselves, which mm-hmm. I, you know, I think you have yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And with your faith and the type of life you want to lead and the t- type of impact that you want to make, like I think you're very much um, being true to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm mm. fascinated with with the idea of a lifestyle mm. entrepreneurship, mm. where you like uh, basically be true to yourself, as you say, like mm. and, and f- um, finding something you you like, mm. and then work around this, mm-hmm. and um, find like-minded people mm. and learn from them. Yep. You spend your lifetime well. Yes, like don't waste your time on something yeah. with miserable people. Mm. You need to surround yourself with mm. good people. Mm. Mate, I agree. I was an awesome interview. Well, thank you. I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. And um, where can people follow you? Where can people look at you? Like your, yep. your, are you on Twitter or anything? Uh, or? I'm on Twitter, so uh, at Hibblej, H-I-B-B-L-E-J, mm-hmm. or LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. Yep. Uh, so a lot of our, I do a lot of posting on LinkedIn, and then my website is the thefacilitationstarter.com. Cool. Mm. John Hibble, thank you very much. Marcel, thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank Cheers. You. Awesome. <laughs> Hey guys, before we wrap up, John and I would like to invite you to the Facilitation Starter because we think a person who learned visualization should also become a world-class facilitator. If you like the idea, then join in the next facilitation training and become a world-class facilitator. Use the discount code BECABLORADIO and get a 10% off just by typing those short letters. Last but not least, thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you find it valuable, then give us a thumbs up on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you listen to us. Also, hop over on iTunes or LinkedIn and leave us a comment. Tell us what you think and uh, what we can do to improve it. Thank you very much again and have a great week.